Well, guys, thank you so much for being part and listening and watching. Well, we are in week two of a series called White Noise. And white noise is um, the, the noise that we use to drown out other noises. And where we get white is kind of like white light. White light consists of all the different colors. Well, white noise consists of all the different frequencies. So if you turn a baby um, machine on or a baby noise machine on for your baby, that noise machine is like 20,000 voices and your baby has a hard time picking up the conversation happening in the living room. Or when we turn the bathroom fan on, the reason why we do that uh, may be to uh, the person uh, next to us is snoring. So we put that on. What it does is it's like 20,000 voices and we're having a hard time picking up the snoring. Well, over the next three weeks, well, this week and next week as we finish up our series, the three white noises that attempt to drown out God's voice are really like three enemies. And we hear God, we hear from God by uh, reading the Bible, praying, fasting, having conversations um, with other followers of Jesus. These three enemies will tell us lies and they're going to be believable lies. So last week we talked about one of the enemies. This week we're going to talk about another enemy. Now, I don't know if you noticed from maybe learning and, and maybe growing up through school and college, um, there was a change in our culture in the early 1900s. Uh, the change came from a man born in Austria. Now, notice some of the effects from this man. Our favorite Scandinavian queen, Elsa, has sung this, No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. We've heard this from Supreme Court Justices Dea Connor. Kennedy and Souter, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. And then Woody Allen, who explained his affair and eventual marriage with his stepdaughter, says the heart wants what it wants. So where this philosophy, where, where does it come from? It comes from a man named Sigmund Freud. And he challenged a view that was really culturally mainstream for 1,400 years. Sigmund Freud had a different view on freedom and desires, and he had his own theory. So before Freud came along, we had the Augustinian view of freedom and desires. And Augustine followed the teachings of Jesus. And so Augustine had four tenets of his theory. He said, We all have disordered desires and loves, which are called the flesh or sin nature. And our deepest desires, they are from God. Number two, he says, we all love the wrong or right things in the wrong order. Number three, he said, we need to say yes to the right desires in the right order. And number four, he said, there's a single transcendent authority, and that is God. Now, Freud comes along, and he says, we all have desires and loves, and they are being held down by authority. That was his first tenet. His second he said, we need to reject all authority. Number three, he said, we will be happy and feel good when we give in to those desires. And finally, he said, there is a single transcendent authority, and it isn't God, it is you. So let's, it's easy to be critical, but let's critically think for a minute. There is tension in all of us every day. You feel it, I feel it, because we have desires wanting our attention. So let me use myself as an example. I desire to work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but I also desire to sleep in after staying up late. I desire to be a very active and involved dad, 
but I also desire me time and to be left alone, to recharge. I desire to sacrificially give to support our church, but I also desire to save for retirement. We have the desires wanting our attention every single day. So as we introduced last week, there is a war. And I say this because there's a war for our soul and there's a war for our peace. I mean, how often are we, we are in a culture now that is dealing with more anxiety, more depression than ever before. And so obviously there's not a lot of peace happening. And maybe you're experiencing that. I, I know that I do, that I don't have as much peace as I want because we have enemies that are at war with our soul and with our peace. And I, and I like what Paul, who wrote some of the New Testament, he writes this about our three distinct enemies. He says, we used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, enemy, obeying the devil, another enemy, who is the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He's a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, another enemy. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Guys, when it comes to these three enemies, our culture maybe misunderstands or quite honestly doesn't really take it real serious because in, in our culture like if we think about the flesh our culture thinks whatever feels good it must be good and it comes down it's all lies we're dealing with lies it is a war of lies for our souls and for our peace john mark comer explains how three enemies work together in their war against us he says from the devil you have these deceptive lies then they play into disordered desires, which are the flesh, that are normalized in a sinful culture. So deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful culture. So last week we looked at the devil as our first enemy. This is our second enemy today. And we're going to look at the flesh. We're going to look at our sin nature. So let's define what the flesh means. And so if we were going to use that verse we read in Ephesians 2, this is what it would mean. The desires of our body that feel natural, but are apart from God. That's how we would define the flesh. The desires of our body that feel natural, but are apart from God. These desires are control, dominion, and survival. Guys, desires aren't wrong in themselves, but how they're applied. Like, we all have strong desires. You have them, I have them. But just because they're strong, it doesn't mean that we have to give in to them. Because we're going to find out that our strongest desires aren't necessarily our deepest desires. Because our flesh wants these desires to be disordered while God wants them to be ordered. Okay. Now this is true of you and this is true of me. And I know that this might take a little bit of humility because this is embarrassing for me to say, but I believe this to be 100% true. My heart's dark, so is yours. The human heart is dark and it's empty. But God's mercy is bright and it's full. The human heart has disordered desires and God provides for our deepest desires. And here's the truth. You and I, we are free. We are free to determine the desires we'll cultivate. Our deepest desires are those really to know God, our creator, our maker. And, and I love what, what's written in the Hebrew songbook. 
as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God, when I can go and stand before him. Psalm 84 says, I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord with my whole being, my body, and soul. I will shout joyfully to the living God. And then Jesus, as he is talking with a woman who has been rejected, who has been used, who's been talked about, and she is identifying with shame. He says to her, he says, anyone who drinks of this water will soon become thirsty again. He's talking about the well that they're at. But those who drink the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Have, I don't know how many, how many times you've been to a funeral, but the ones that I've attended, we hear about someone's character. We never, ever, rarely hear of some disordered desire. And in most cases, family and friends are trying to show that their loved one had given into their strongest and deepest desires. So here's the thing about our strong desires. Our strong desires don't always mean that they're our deepest desires. Sometimes our strongest desires are disordered desires. See, given into our strongest desires, which the promised freedom, promised life, or promised fulfillment can actually result in addiction, dissatisfaction, and even depression. Because these strongest desires, they are going to overpromise and they will always underdeliver. So we're going to jump into Galatians 5. And in Galatians, Paul is writing to a church. And they're struggling with their freedom that they have in Christ. People are going back to their old way of life and He's helping them understand, listen, you don't have to give into these strong, disordered desires. Instead, you can trust and lean in to those deepest desires. And so he's going to give us some strategy on what this looks like. He writes, so Christ has truly set us free, which means before Christ we weren't free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. Okay, so when we accept and believe that Jesus died for the punishment of our sin, and he came back from the dead. When we believe that, God sets us free through Jesus. All right, so we're set free from the slavery to sin and slavery to the law. The law is not a bad thing. The law is a good thing. But the law can't set you free. The law can't set me free. And when we mean the law, we mean the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. Can't set you free. Can't set me free. All the law is good for is to show that you and I were guilty and we need a Savior. Now, when Paul writes about staying free, He's saying for us not to give in to the disordered desires, but to cultivate the deepest desires. Okay? So when Paul is using the term free, he's like, listen, this is, you determine. You determine this. This is self-determination. God didn't make you a robot. God hasn't made you like the animals. He created you. He created me with free will, ethics, and conscience. That's how he created you. That's how he created me. We had a Vishla, a dog named Ginger. And Vishlas, they have a hound in them. And so uh, Ginger, she would hunt squirrels and cats and little three-pound dogs who she thought were cats. When she attacked the dog next to uh, where my in-laws lived, she did not ever think how we would feel. When she attacked that three-little-pound dog which she thought was a cat, she didn't sit down and list out the pros and cons with us. 
Uh, she didn't think about the vet bill that Jenny and I were going to pay. She saw, she pounced, and she attacked. I broke them up. I saw the vet bill, and I cried. The fact is, we are not like robots, nor are we like animals. We are made in God's image. And that means that he has given us freedom. We have free will. And what Paul is saying, don't use that freedom that you now have being set free from Christ to go back into your old life. He said, cultivate your deepest desires. So he writes, for you have been called to live in freedom. All right? We're called to enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Don't go back. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law could be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring each other, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. I'll explain why we destroy each other. But let's get back to how the spirit and the, and the flesh look at love differently. Love is intended to give, not take. Our flesh, your flesh, my flesh, wants to take and call it love. The Spirit wants to give and call it love. This is really important because our flesh is anti-love as the Spirit would define love. So the Greeks, when this was written, the Greeks had eight terms for love. The flesh can take seven of those types of love and disorder them. There's one type of love that's the highest form of love, and that was agape love. It was a selfless, giving love. See, our flesh is anti-love because it's anti-God. It's willing to take and call it love. It's willing to abuse it or abuse other people and call it love. What our culture does, what our flesh does, is whatever feels good, it must be good. Our flesh loves that because our flesh will use something for selfish reasons, regardless of however it affects the other person, and call it love. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, will give and call it love. This makes our culture uncomfortable. It does. There's a popular saying uh, in, in Freud's world, in his culture, and it would be this. As long as it doesn't harm anybody, I'm going to do it. As long as it doesn't harm, as long as it doesn't hurt, I'm still going to do it. Now, this is pretty serious because, think about it, who determines, who defines harm? There's 7 billion people on this planet. They will define they will define and determine harm in seven billion ways. This means that there's no transcendent definition of harm. It's subjective, and when everybody does whatever they want, as long as it doesn't harm anybody, it leads to people being their own authority of truth. And truth becomes inconsistent, truth becomes like a moving target. So this is not a political example. This is just explaining how this is seen in our culture. So recently, a USA swimming official, Cynthia Millen, resigned in a protest over a transgender female swimming against biological males, uh, m- males, female, biological females. 
She she said this, everything fair about swimming is being destroyed. If, I believe it's Leah, I could be wrong about that, came on my deck as a referee, I would pull the coach aside and say, Leah can swim, but Leah can't, can't swim exhibition or time trial. Leah cannot compete against those women because it's not fair. So the question of is it harming anyone is on display as individuals are defining what's true and what's not true for other people. See, when truth isn't from God and we're free to be however we want to be, we have a tendency to give in to those disordered desires. It will leave us, and what happens is because everyone has their own definition of whatever, we all have our own truth. It will allow us and it will lead us to start fighting and arguing with each other. So back to Galatians, Paul then breaks down our disordered desires with our deepest desires. So notice what he writes. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sin nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. When the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires, these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So when you're not free to carry out your own good intentions, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under any obligation to the law of Moses. He continues, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. He says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, our disordered desires, they promise fulfillment, they promise happiness, they promise satisfaction, but the results are different. Instead, these disordered desires, they're going to deliver hurt, pain, abuse, regret, and hate. And I'm not trying to, what I'm about to say, I'm not trying to be profane. Whenever we do whatever the hell we want, we will inherit hell because we're not willing to surrender or pursue our deepest desires. Because those lead to life. When we live like there's no God, we're going to an eternity or to a place where there is no God. Hell is separation from God. So when we live like there's no God, we're going to end up going to an eternity where there is no God. I don't want that for anybody. Neither did Paul because Paul then writes this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. We don't have to go down the road of our disordered desires. Instead, he says, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Now, how many of us wouldn't want this? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, there's no law against these things because these are good things. We all would want this when we have a conversation with our student or with our kid or with our athlete, man, we, we need these things. We need love, joy, peace, patience. We, we want people to treat us this way. 
it's important for us to treat other people this way because these are our deepest desires and they promise life and fulfillment and satisfaction. And guess what? The results are those. I'm going to experience life. I'm going to experience fulfillment. I'm going to experience contentment. We surrender to the Holy Spirit and what He wants. Growing up on the farm, we had fruit, and fruit is produced on the farm by doing one thing, and that is cultivating the ground, cultivating the soil. And we cultivate by surrendering to our deepest desires that are ordered by the Holy Spirit. That is how we cultivate the desires. I love what he writes. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Paul is saying in in so many words, listen, freedom isn't no rules for me and I'm free to do whatever I want to do. No, it's choosing the deepest desires to fulfill the law of Christ. What was the law of Christ? Jesus said, love others as I have loved you. Love others as I have loved you. It becomes the good of others. That's love. You know how I know it's love? Because it's good for somebody else. Not only is it good for me, but it's good for them. It's good for that other person. And we do this by crucifying our flesh to his cross. I think for some of us, we think we can manage our sin. We cannot manage our sin. We can't manage our vices. We're going to give in and it can lead to a very dark path. We're not, we're not able to manage our sin. It doesn't work. We're not smart or strong enough to manage our sin. When we are trying to manage our sin, we are saying that the cross isn't enough. We're saying what Jesus did for us isn't enough. And Paul continues, he says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. When we are living by the Spirit, it means that we are relying on His power and we're relying on His strength. The Holy Spirit, don't miss this, He may use some guilt to draw you back in. He'll get you back on track with using some guilt. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is about what I did. Shame is about who I am. The Holy Spirit will remind us of who we are. You are an adopted son or daughter of God. You are forgiven. But that doesn't mean that we abuse that freedom and we don't abuse that forgiveness. He's going to use a little bit of guilt, but he is not going to use shame. Because shame attacks identity. Guilt works like a spark plug. It should It should be like a catalyst. It should spark me to be like, ah, I can't go down this road. I don't want to go down this road. I need to cultivate my deepest desires. When we're living by the Spirit, it becomes easier to follow the Holy Spirit because we're more in tune with the deepest desires He provides. It's important to remember that our deepest desires will not always be our strongest desires. So our best strategy against the flesh comes through two spiritual disciplines fasting and confession fasting and confession so we said last week the fasting deepens our hunger to be more aligned with god and so the flesh tempts us with these strong desires that are disordered we'll be able to fight back because fasting is about going without food now although others say that you could go without tv phone sex or whatever it's not the same that's going to be more like abstinence the flesh is hungry and when we fast what we're doing is we're starving the flesh remember we're created as a nephish in the hebrew nephish 
and it's a living, breathing being. That's what you are. That's what I am. We're a living, breathing being. We're made up of soul, mind, and body, and they are all interwoven and interconnected. So each affect each other. So when I'm fasting, it turns our body, my body, into an ally in the fight in the fight against the flesh. It comes down to how bad you want to be free. It comes down to how much you want to give in to your deepest desires. That's why we fast. That's one of the reasons why we fast. God, I want you more. I want those deepest desires more than those strong, disordered desires. And then confession. <laughs> confession is uh, probably very familiar with, uh, to our Catholic friends and maybe not so familiar with our non-Catholic friends. And, but this isn't about confessing this to a priest. No, it comes down to Jesus' half-brother, James, and this is what he wrote. He said, confess your sins to each other. I don't have to go to a priest. I don't have to go to a pastor. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Guys, there is something freeing. When you name your sin out loud to people you know and people you trust, and they pray over you and they pray for you, there is something powerful there. It's important to find someone who knows you and you know them. So once it comes out, it should lead to healing and prayer for the deepest desires. I believe that fasting and confession are highly effective in fighting the flesh. There have been many times where I'm going through something and I end up calling maybe one of the elders or I call one of my friends and I call them and I say, hey, this is what, this is what I'm feeling tempted to do. When I say that sin out loud, at times it could be embarrassing, but that guilt that the Holy Spirit uses is a good thing because it gets me back on track. They hear it. They pray over me. And man, I feel like I've been able to overcome. That's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we all face this war each and every day. We face this battle of giving in to a desire. And I pray, Father, for all of us that are watching or listening, that we would give in to our deepest desires. They're not always going to be the strongest ones, but help us to give in to our deepest desires, ones that we're able to know you and draw close to you. Father, help us to cultivate through reading the scriptures, through being in church, through being in community group, through having conversations with other believers through praying and fasting. Father, help us to be able to cultivate the relationship we have with you. For those who are on the fence about Christianity, I ask that you will draw them to you. Maybe this was very foreign to them. Maybe this was very scary to them. I ask that you will help them to realize that you love them. You paid the ultimate price to be in a relationship with them. And Father, I pray that they would receive you and they would be able to walk in freedom no longer a slave to their sinful nature. Father, thank you again for allowing us to understand not only one enemy, but now our second enemy. Help us to surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.